bone and sickle. Bleeding saints and forest witches, the past unburied, the books unsealed, the old celebration returning. and welcome to my study. Please come in and have a seat. All these books surrounding you are those used as sources for our show, and I will be sharing with you tonight some interesting selections from one of these volumes, assisted as always by the housekeeper of this estate and co-host of this show, Mrs. Carswell. Hello. So those of you who have been listening lately will have heard quite a lot about me adopting an owl from a shelter a couple months back. And I will admit I've been a bit tunnel vision on all this and may have put some undue pressure on Mrs. Carswell in the process. Is that a good way to put it? Well, it's an adjustment, I guess. Living with a giant bird of prey. She is a very, very, very large bird. Uh, but we're not going to be talking about her tonight. That was the point. Mrs. Uh, Carswell's bees, which have been uh, sidelined for a while now, are back in the limelight this week, as it turns out. I don't know about limelight, but I did receive a request from a journalist or blogger who wants to do a profile on my performing bees for Perfect Bee Beekeeping Blog. The uh, bee circus, or bee act, was a project of Mrs. Carswell's uh, aunt and uncle, back in the 60s, which she resurrected and we discussed on the show back in uh, the uh, summer of 2021. Yes, and it was the funniest thing how this happened. Apparently, this writer for Perfect Bee, Carmi's her name, Carmi Laswell, she ran into someone at her gym wearing the Carswell's Amazing Bees t-shirt. Available for a mere $18 on our website, or you can Google Bone and Sickle and Shopify and you'll find it. Yes. And we also have mugs with the image. Anyway, she asked about the shirt, and the listener told her about the bee act. And she listened to a few episodes, including the Halloween fortune-telling I did with the bees. I think that was one of the uh, 2020 horror host episodes. The second one, yes. And thank you to listener Lauren Church for wearing the shirt and getting the ball rolling on this. Yes. So, uh, Carmi's been emailing and we talked on the phone, a uh, sort of a preliminary interview, and she wants to come out and get some photos. She says her editor is very excited about it all. Come here to take pictures? Well, yes, of me with the bees. Some of the show props, probably. I, I have to fix my fortune teller's turban, though. The jewel fell off again. Who knows, maybe I'll need it if the story gets people interested and I have to go off on a bee tour. <laughs> you didn't mention anything about her wanting to come here, uh, to the house. Just for photos, as far as I know. I think the interview is just by phone. She'll probably want a tour of the house while she's here. Did she uh, mention wanting to uh, interview me as a producer of the act? Oh, well, not specifically. Well, I mean, since I will be showing her around anyway, but um, I don't want any exterior photos, just as a matter of privacy. It's just a rule I have. I don't know how much she'll be focusing on the house. Hmm. What is this magazine, anyway? It's a blog. A blog? Yes. Perfect Bee Beekeeping Blog. I guess I can still give her a tour. Did you tell her about the owl? 
Uh, no, I, I didn't tell her about strings. Did I mention that I'm training her? I thought we were talking about the owl. Ah, you're right. Well, we're not. And we should be wrapping up anyway. I can ask if she wants to interview you. Let's just do the show. This is episode 108, Strange Births and Monsters. I am your host, Al Reidenauer, and this show, Bone and Sickle, examines the intertwining of horror, folklore, and history. I started the show as a way to further explore these overlapping topics after writing my book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas, and I am currently working on a related volume. Bone and Sickle only exists thanks to the generosity of our Patreon donors who receive monthly rewards, including not one, but two bonus episodes. And I'll have more on all that at the end of our show. Tonight's reading comes from a volume written, or at least edited, by R.S. Kirby. It was published in 1820 under the full title, Kirby's Wonderful and Eccentric Museum, or magazine of remarkable characters, including all the curiosities of nature and art from the remotest period to the present day, drawn from every authentic source. I'll be reading snippets about strange births, often interpreted as omens, from a chapter entitled Monsters, which seemed a reliable choice for listeners to our show. The first passage quotes the writings of the royal barber surgeon to several kings of France, Ambroise Pere, or Ambrose Perry, as Mr. Kirby has it. Anyway, to begin with his text. In the works of Ambrose Perry, an eminent French surgeon of the 16th century, translated from the Latin by Thomas Johnston, is a curious chapter on monsters, accompanied with numerous representations of them in woodcuts. If the reader cannot give implicit credit to all the particulars of this kind related by this author, who was certainly one of the most experienced, enlightened, and ingenious men of his time, these may at least contribute to his amusement. At Verona in the year 1254, a mare foaled a colt with the perfect face of a man, but all the rest of the body like a horse. A little after that, the war between the Florentines and Pisans began, by which all Italy was in a combustion. About the time that Pope Julius II raised up all Italy and the greatest part of Christendom against Louis XII of France in the year of our Lord 1512, in which year, upon Easter Day near Ravenna, was fought that mortal battle in which the Pope's forces were overthrown, a monster was born in Ravenna having a horn upon the crown of his head, two wings instead of arms, and only one leg, most like to those of birds of prey, in the knee thereof an eye. The rest of the body was like a man and had the distinctive marks of both sexes. The engraving of this extraordinary figure represents it as having 
the letter Y on the upper part of the breast, and beneath it, a cross. At Kier, a small village some ten miles from Turin in Savoy, in the year 1578, upon the 17th day of January, about eight o'clock at night, an honest matron brought forth a child having five horns, like to ram's horns, set opposite to one another upon his head. He had, also, a long piece of flesh, like in some way to a French hood, which women used to wear, hanging down from his forehead by the nape of his neck. At the right, most the length of his back, two other pieces of flesh, like the collar of a shirt, were wrapped about his neck. The finger ends of both his hands somewhat resembled a hawk's talons, and his knees seemed to be in his hips. The leg and right foot were of a very red color. The rest of the body was of a tawny color. It is said he gave so terrible a screech that the midwives and the rest of the women who were present were so frightened that they left the house and ran away. In the year 1110, in a certain town near Liege, a sow farrowed a pig with the head, face, hands, and feet of a man, but in the rest of the body resembling a swine. In the year 1564, at Brussels, in the house of one Jos Dietz, a sow farrowed six pigs, the first whereof was a monster representing a man in the head, face, forefeet, and shoulders, but in the rest of the body like another pig. But the second day, after it was farrowed, it was killed by the people together with the sow by reason of the monstrousness of the thing. In the year 1571, at Antwerp, the wife of one Michel, a printer dwelling with one Jean Molin, a graver or carver, on St. Thomas's Day brought forth a monster wholly like a dog, but that it had a shorter neck and the head of a bird, but without any feathers on it. This monster was not alive, for the monster was delivered before its time, but she giving a great screech in the instant of her deliverance, the chimney of the house fell down yet hurt nobody, not so much as any one of the four little children that sat by the fireside. In the year 1517, in the parish of Kingswood, in the forest of Biera on the way to Fontainebleau, there was a monster born with the face of a frog, being seen by Jean Banager, surgeon to the king's engineers. The father's name was Amadeus Petit, his mother, Magdalena Sabocata, who, troubled with a fever by a woman's persuasion, held a living frog in her hand until it died. Bonnager, a man of an acute wit, thought this was the cause of the monstrous deformity of the child. Lodovico Ricciera saith he saw two monsters in Italy, the one male, the other female, handsomely and neatly made through all their bodies except their heads, which were double. The male died within a few days after it was born, but the female lived 25 years, which is contrary to the common custom of monsters, for they, for the most part, are very short-lived, because they both live and are born, as it were, against nature's consent, to which may be added, they do not love themselves, by reason they are made a scorn to others, and by that means lead a hated life.
What Lycosthenes tells of a woman monster is still more remarkable. For, excepting her two heads, she was formed in the rest of her body to an exact perfection. Her two heads had the like desire to eat and drink, to sleep, to speak, and to do everything. She begged from door to door, everyone giving to her freely, yet at length she was banished to Bavaria, lest that by frequent looking upon her, the imagination of women with child strongly moved should make the like impression on the infants with which they were pregnant. In the year that Francis I, King of France, entered into league with the Swiss, there was born a monster in Germany, out of the midst of whose belly there stood a head. It came to a man's age, and his lower, and as it were, inserted head, was nourished as much as the true upper head. In the year 1572, on Easter Monday at Metz in Lorraine, at the inn whose sign is the Holy Ghost, a sow pigged a pig, which had eight legs, four ears, and the head of a dog. The hinder part, from the belly downwards, was parted in two as if in twins, but the four parts grew into one. It had two tongues in the mouth with four teeth in the upper jaw and as many in the lower. A drawing of the shape of this monster was sent me by Borgesius, the famous physician of Metz. Uh, now to uh, break away for a moment from our text, the next several pages of her book, uh, Kirby's Wonderful and Eccentric Museum, continue our monster theme, but rather than quoting Perry's work, are pulled from a variety of sources, and most of which she identifies with um, fairly inscrutable abbreviations of their Latin titles. Um, some of them I managed to track down, but not also for consistency. I'll just be leaving those out. And so he continues. On the 14th of May, 1802, Mr. Samuel Collier, bookbinder of St. Martin Le Grand, caught in his workshop a mouse remarkable for the shape of the head. The upper part, the base being arched from the middle of the forehead, was horn and nearly black. The animal had only one eye, and that on the left side of the face. The other side was covered with sound skin, well furnished with hair. The body was, in all respects, like that of any other mouse. It was easily caught, but received an injury and died two or three days afterwards when Mr. Collier gave it to the proprietor of a small museum of natural curiosities in the city road. Uh, and this one, uh, let's see, the attribution is from a paper of May 5th, 1810. And it, it describes a chicken of a very remarkable form, hatched a few days before at Haybury Mill, parish of Ruthwell, Dumfries. Its head, neck, and back were well-formed, and its wings and legs were precisely of the proper form and dimension, but instead of a breast, nature had substituted another back with other wings and legs equally perfect of their kind, so that had it not been for the manner in which the head was placed, it would have appeared a matter of perfect indifference which of the backs had been the uppermost, and which set of wings the animal might have used. This curious anomaly did not long survive its exclusion from the show. The concubine of Pope Nicholas III was delivered of a monster which resembled a bear. Martin IV, in the first year of his popedom, entertained this lady, 
And fearing lest she should bring forth other bear whelps, he caused all the bears which were painted or carved in the Pope's palace, whilst the family of the Orsini bore sway in Rome, to be blotted out and removed. For this Pope was not ignorant how the shapes and pictures which were conceived in a woman's imagination at the time of her conception remain imprinted for the most part in the body of that which is conceived. At the beginning of July 1765, a cow belonging to Mr. William Vaughan, butcher of Denbyshire in North Wales, dropped a calf which had two heads, four eyes, four ears, two mouths, two tongues, and two necks, the body and legs as usual. It lived several days, seemingly in good health, and was observed at different times to suck with each mouth. A gentleman in the neighborhood bought the skin to have it stuffed and preserved. Oh, I'd like to have that. Let's see. At Krakow, there was born of noble parents a child that was terrible to behold, with flaming and shining eyes. The mouth and nostrils were like those of an ox. It had long horns and a back hairy like a dog's. It had the faces of apes in the breast where the teeth should stand. It had cat's eyes under the navel, fastened to the hypogastrium, and they looked hideously and frightfully. It had the heads of dogs upon both elbows and at the whirl bones of each knee looking forwards. The whirl bones are just joints. It was splay-footed and splay-handed. The feet were like those of a swan's, and it had a tail turned upwards that was crooked backwards, about a half an ell long. It's so about two feet. It lived four hours from the birth, and near its death spake thus, Watch, for the Lord your God comes. This was, saith Lacosthenes, in the year 1543. Well, I don't think we have to argue with Lacosthenes. And oh, and the next one is from uh, Bartholinus. I saw, saith Bartholinus, Lazarus Coloraedo, the Genoese, first at Copenhagen, after at Basel, when he was 28 years of age, but in both places with amazement. This Lazarus had a little brother growing out of his breast who was in that posture, born with him. If I am not mistaken, the bone called the Xiphides, which I guess would be the bottom of the sternum, uh, in both of them grew together. His left foot alone hung downwards. He had two arms, but only three fingers upon each hand. Some appearance there was of the uh, secret parts. He moved his hands, ears, and lips, and had a little beating in the breast. This little brother voids no excrements, but by the mouth, nose, and ears, and is nourished by that which the greater brother takes. He sleeps, sweats, and moves when the other wakes, rests, and sweats not. Both received their names at the font, the greater that of Lazarus and the other that of Johannes Baptista. The natural bowels as the liver, spleen, etc. were the same in both. Johannes Baptista hath his eyes for the most part shut, his breath small, so that holding a feather at his mouth it scarcely moves, but holding the hand there we find a small and warm breath. His mouth is usually open and wet with spittle. His head is bigger than that of Lazarus, but deformed. 
his hair hanging down while his face is in an upright posture. Both have beards, that of Baptista is neglected, but that of Lazarus, very neat. Lazarus is of a tall stature, a decent body, courteous deportment, and gallantly attired. He covers the body of his brother with his cloak, nor would you think a monster lay within at your first discourse with him. He seemed always of constant mind, unless that now and then he was solicitous as to his end, for he feared the death of his brother, presaging that, when it came to pass, he should also expire with the stench and putrefaction of his body, and therefore he took greater care of his brother than himself. And now, a bit of poetry as we close our show with Carswell's Corner. Tonight's poem, like Beowulf and the Arabian Nights, is by an unknown or unnamed author, although perhaps not quite as epic. In fact, it's very short. It's called A Hard Lesson. A doctor fell into a well and broke his collarbone. The moral? Doctor, mind the sick and leave the well alone. I hope everyone's been enjoying our show and that you might have the opportunity to leave a review if you do. As promised at the top of the show, I'd like to provide a bit more on the rewards of joining Bone and Sickle via Patreon. A monthly pledge of $2 brings you access to hundreds of posts on our blog in which I share curious tidbits from history, folklore, and films related to our general field of interest. Donating a mere $4 or more monthly brings you not one, but two short extra episodes. Other rewards include downloads of the show's soundscapes heard under the narration, the show's scripts, my Krampus book, various t-shirts and mug options, the Bowden Sickle candle, and unique and hand-packed mystery kits. And because I'm recording this immediately after our last episode, I don't have any new sign-ups to thank, so instead we'll take this opportunity to remind you that you can support yet another way by visiting the Bowden Sickle shop on our website or on Shopify, and perhaps picking up one of our shirts, hoodies, or mugs emblazoned with our skeletal mascots, or, as mentioned, with uh, Carswell's Amazing Bees art. Bone and Sickle is written and produced by me, Al Reidnauer. Mrs. Carswell is played by Sarah Chavez, whose projects and writing related to death and culture you can track at sarah-chavez.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> ¶¶